Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Happy gay. Oh, yes. Happy gay. We continue just doing happy gay things. Yes. Oh, happy <laughs> gay. <sighs> oh, happy gay. Back to? No. Yeah, no, I know. I was just going to say how long it would go on. <laughs> I saw you. This is going to date our recording, but I saw your post with Sister Shoot, which is like, which is Kathy Jimmy's character. Uh, Sister Mary Patrick. Yeah, her <laughs> playing the jukebox and it being them <laughs> by Kylie. That was... That delighted me. When she and it syncs up when she it does, does her like yeah. 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 I love stuff like that. I love how that's the thing. I love, there's so much music that's like that four four pop mm-hmm. basic mm-hmm. beat, basic tempo. And so I thoroughly enjoy things that are like where they what is the one with the it's like Lucille Ball and Ginger Rogers, maybe and her daughter and Lucille's daughter. Lucy. Is it Ginger Rogers? Or somebody, I don't know, but whatever. It's some other iconic kind of star mm-hmm. of that era. And they're doing that was the like ch- the last time she performed, too. Yeah, they're doing the Charleston, but it's set to single ladies. Oh, no, I have to find that. Yeah, that's pretty delightful. And then I just saw another one that was like, looked like something out of the 70s that was set to Padam, Padam, Padam. Is it Padam, Padam, or just Padam? I don't even know. The song is, yeah, okay, Padam, Padam. <laughs> Bitty bitty bum. <laughs> bitty padum. <laughs> Somebody what? has to do a match mashup of those songs. Um, padum. Oh yeah. yeah. Come on. That would be good. I you know we made that joke, I think, on either the last episode or the episode before, I can't remember. Or maybe it's a future episode. <laughs> but I know we've talked about it, but we do. We need a bitty padum. I think that's what it would should be called. <laughs> It'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yes, we're back for more uh queer horror content. So fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, what you watch this week? Anything interesting? Oh, my goodness. Yes, actually, this will date it significantly. I watched Netflix's new show, Glamorous. Oh, what's that? It's it's a whole, it's like a mixture of a whole bunch of different shows, but it's b- about a makeup influencer YouTuber named Marco who lives in New York and works at a makeup counter. And one day, the head of, it would be like if Estee Lauder walked in, right? Ooh. Like the Madeline Addison, played by Kim Cattrall. I there. think you'll watch it now. Yes, um, you, you did just tempt me. <laughs> Kim Cattrall, she comes in because she's trying to gain inspiration and see what her customers are like. And Marco impresses her so much that she offers him a job as her second assistant. So it's Ugly Betty meets Devil Wears Prada meets The Bold Type meets Younger. Like, it's very all of these things. And it is the I gayest. definitely knew what some of the things you just said are. Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. It's the gayest show on Netflix. All right. And like, what was it called again? Glamorous. Glamorous. G-L-A-M-O-R-O-U-S. No, I know how to spell glamorous, my love. I know. I'm just... I also I know how to spell glamorous because Fergie. Uh, I want to keep spelling. Sp- I want to spell glamorous like glamour. I just remember that song. Oh yeah. Okay. 
That's what I was doing. I love it. You were like, don't tell me how to spell. I actually read, Joe. Right. <laughs> I read in grad school. <laughs> oh, man. My semester is over for this, for the summer, which makes me so happy. I've got a couple months off. Nice. Speaking of that, I, some of my cohort are sharing pictures of their books, and one of them bought all the books in physical form, and I did not. So I have a lot of my books are digital copies or mm-hmm. found upon the internet somewhere ah. in digital form, shall we say. And so I can't do that, but they have stacks that are like almost as tall as them. I'm like, yeah, we do read a lot. Yeah, I do. Too. I buy the physical copies of books that I think I will use or reference again. Yeah. So I do. I like to have them physically. One day I'm going to have an office and I would like to have all the books that I've read on there and books I might offer people to read. This may resonate with your story. (laughs) Read this book and let me charge you for it. Right. Therapy. Anyways, coming to a San Diego office near you in a few years. Love it. (laughs) Anyways, what did I do? Oh, I finally watched Renfield, which Uh we should have talked about last month when we were talking about all these vampers. But But you have the time now. Yeah, but I actually had the time. So I finally watched that. Did you get a chance to watch Renfield? I did. Okay, look at that. It was after a day that was particularly long. And so I went home and I was like, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to watch Renfield. Yeah. And it was, what did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was stupid in the way that RuPaul says stupid. <laughs> like it knew what it was doing. It, it tongue firmly in befanged cheek. It was it just it knew what it was doing. <laughs> Tongued firmly in befanged cheek. That didn't work, but whatever. That's not the point. I feel like you need to like write a review of something vampiric yeah. just so you can use that line yeah. for it. But yeah, I just felt like it knew what it was doing. It was a lot of fun. It was having fun. There were stuff that, it, again, it maybe was too long. I'm becoming one of these people where everything just feels too long. Uh, and now I say that. It's like, actually, what was the uh, runtime on it? I think I'm just also, like oh gosh, it was only an hour and 33 minutes. Oh, man. wow. I don't even, yeah, there was just a couple of scenes. And I think it's like some of the stuff with like Aquafina and I don't know. I just, I'm not feeling her right now. I f- I'm really off of Aquafina. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe if it had been someone else, but. It could have been many other people. Yeah, I don't know. But I did overall enjoy uh, the movie. I thought it was, I thought it was super fun. Nick Cage, he's a national treasure all of a sudden. How did that happen? How did Nick Cage become some national horror treasure? But he did it. I'm trying this thing with you where I'm captioning myself live. Oh. I learned about it at work. And I just want you to see if it's actually doing it. The problem is it doesn't happen as you're talking. It's like a delay. I like the idea, though. I don't know if we'll keep this in, but... Yeah. I mean, I just downloaded it, so... It's I super just, fun. I'm trying to be accessible to your needs. Yeah, but it doesn't move fast enough. I also am not really feeling Aquafina at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about her, besides the fact that, I don't know, maybe she's an appropriator. Yeah, and lots of people are appropriators that I go back and forth on. I just think, you know what it is? It's like, she's like Adam Sandler and like Will Ferrell and those kinds of, in a way, she reminds me of that kind of vibe from the 90s that I didn't care for either. I don't know. (laughs) I can't explain it whatever she's obviously doing well 
She's got Little Mermaid money. She's got Disney money. Yeah, she had her own show. Yeah, so she's she doesn't need me. It's just know. so strange because her <laughs> character was supposed to be like very serious, like a, a straight laced kind of character, and I didn't. I'm so interested in what who else they wanted for that role. Yeah, I, I have no idea. But overall, I enjoyed it. I think at some point we'll probably visit it on the show. I think it would be fun to to break it down a little bit and chat about mm-hmm. it, chat about those kinds of characters. We've never done that. It'd be really fun to do a series on the Renfields and the Igors and yeah. you know, the assistants. Because we got into it when we talked about Once Bitten with Sebastian in that. And his role was so interesting because it broke some of the typical rules that we see around the Renfield-type character. Yeah, But again, we haven't really done like a dive into studying that that role and what that is and how a lot of especially those like monsters like that always have an assistant so it could be fun yeah and also i know a lot of people that really loved it and probably would love to come on and chat about it so you know it was we were in romania i think when it opened or i was in poland something like that i knew it was it came out like around the time we were doing a lot of traveling so i didn't get a chance to see it but some of the people that were in romania with us were like oh we watched it right before we got on the plane to come here it was so i mean they were like so excited about it so Anyways, I did enjoy it. So I definitely recommend it. What's it on? Peacock, I think. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's streaming on Peacock, dear listener, as we speak. So if you're a Peacockian, you can uh, go over there and take a gander and see what it's like to explore uh, the concept of a codependent personality disorder via Renfield. And Dracula. (laughs) So without spoilers, or without many spoilers, I should say, what did you think of the, what it was saying about relationships and the the codependency of it all? Because there is, this is also in the trailer, Renfield's attending a support group for folks. Yeah, Codependence Anonymous, which is a real thing that Mm -hmm. does exist. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny to contextualize their relationship that way. It makes a lot of sense in the modern world because obviously he's been working for Dracula for some century, a couple hundred years or whatever it is. And the idea of that, especially nowadays where we have so much like new age TikTok therapy stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, it just really situated it in in that kind of context I think in a really hilarious way, uh, especially when they were all asking him like, oh, does your boss do this? Do they do this? Do you find yourself doing that? And it's, that's so, so funny. Again, I wouldn't say this is like the ideal group, but I don't know. I think it would be really fun to show this scene to a group of therapists and break it down and chat about it. Yeah. The scenes, particularly in the codependency anonymous group or sure. whatever it was called in the... We really need to do like a therapy in horror. Yeah. It's also weird well, because... like in general, yeah. We've done a lot of movies that have happened to have a mental health professional yeah. um, of some sort, which is, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if that's your... Uh, your subconscious bias, your implicit bias. Uh, Some of them I didn't even realize, especially when a lot of the vampire movies we talked kept having these psychoanalytic therapists pop up, very Freud. Uh, But again, that makes a lot of sense in in a vampire situation Mm -hmm. because you're talking about the unconscious and the id and what controls us and all of those sorts of things. So it brings up an oral fixation. Like You can really play with those concepts in a vampire film in, in a fun way. But yeah, I don't know. I think about that because it's like, I love making podcasts. I, I like doing Fright School, but it would be fun the more I get into this to 
maybe do something like that. Invite other therapists on to do real breakdowns of the way mental health is depicted. And what would we give this character as a diagnosis? And how would we treat them? I think it'd be really fun. Treatment plan? Yeah, for people that are like, just interested in that kind of stuff. I would listen. Good, because you'd have to edit it. The other thing this week, I finally, my Wednesday night TV watch club, on Wednesdays we watch TV and sometimes we're black, finished Beef on Netflix, which you watched, right? Yeah. And enjoyed, right? You liked it? Yes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, was it wild. very much. Yeah, it was freaking wild. One of the strangest shows, I shouldn't say that, it's so hyperbolic, but it really was. Like, every episode would just take an insane left turn. Mm -hmm. We're all like watching it together and it would end and we're like, okay, we have to wait till next week. And then it would pick up somewhere else and go a completely different way. Yeah. So we were just constantly kept on the edge of our like seats. What's going to happen? And why won't these people just leave each other alone? (laughs) The more it went on, it was like, just stop talking to each other. Even if you're trying to be friends, don't even do that. Just move on. It was so yeah. strange. It was but a lot of fun. It was like, as I'm navigating like my own feelings, it, as I'm almost a just a few months shy of a year of this big significant breakup. Watching beef was yeah. I don't need. <laughs> we're done. We don't need to be. Yeah. I don't need to go seeking the trouble. Yeah, because that says more about and and that's not to say that I am actively out there seeking seeking trouble. No, I get it. But it's, no, just leave well enough alone. It's people who can't leave well enough alone. Yeah, I, yeah, it just had so much going on. It. I, I need to sit down and watch it again all at once, because we had to watch it across, like, several weeks, more even than episodes, because of just traveling and, like, different things that were sure, going on. Yeah. I would love to sit down and just watch it from start to finish, because I really loved... Ali Wong, she's yeah. so good mm-hmm. in it. And it was neat to see her play something that was both really funny, but also profoundly like dramatic as well. Yeah, it was her Jim Carrey turn. Yeah, it was really interesting to just to see her do, to do that and to explore some of those themes that I feel like we don't really get to see from an Asian woman's perspective. Yeah. Especially around aging and like family. There was just a lot going on that I felt... We just don't explore in that way. Yeah. Uh, or at least that I have not seen. Uh, so yeah. she was touching on a lot of things. Plus, they were getting into some of the colorism and like prejudice amongst like Asian people about others, you know, which we talk, you know, about any subgroup like queers. We have our whole zoology and there's a whole hierarchy of the way we treat each other. So it's like it's not to criticize. It's just, it was just interesting to see it engaged with on this show yeah. along with com- conversations of privilege and wealth and all the other things that the show tackled. It was super fun. And I really loved Maria Bello's character. Yes. Jordan, Jordan. Forrester. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that would be like, if there was like a Jack Kirkland. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Two things. One on Ali Wong, everything you just said and how she was able to just play it and also just play the woman who is like barely holding it together yeah like you can tell and even in the first episode it sets that tone for her as she is really trying to have it all and everyone is relying on her in a way that is not hyperbolic and but one thing that i really loved in terms of the full spectrum of humanity was the towards the end where you get that episode where her 
her self hatred demon. Oh yeah, from and I totally remember the story that she's ref- that that character is referencing. But yeah, it was like Viola Swamp or whatever from yeah. Miss the those right. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of yeah. those books with the teacher and she would dress up. Yeah. yeah, so seeing that in a way where it's just oh all of her everything that she it's the things that she doesn't like about herself that the deepest darkest things yeah. that. And I'm just like, wow, self-compassion. Like, where's the self-compassion, right? And then her, not, and what a where, what a place to bring that up in terms of this, the like episodic structure of the season, because it's like towards the end when, and it like, but also in a way where it allows us to see, oh, the turn that she makes in trying to make things right is real because she's, this is her confronting right. that and where that comes from. So that I loved a lot. This, I also really loved, and I've talked about this with numerous people, especially my friends of color, is the like anger, the very vocal rage that we see yeah. from Stephen Yun, especially because like we don't really get to see Asian men, like Asian male characters are heavily neutered in mm. many ways, uh, not only sexually, but just like emotionally in and portrayed in very specific lights. And to see this a revolutionary in my mind character where he gets to feel, express his anger and actively seek revenge yeah. and the rage that's there, which is just, again, we talked about the Han, right? Because Danny in the show, Steven Yen's character is Korean. And so the concept of Han and... I remember you hadn't seen it yet, but I wanted to text you so badly because there's a scene where he's, I think it's in the first ep- or second episode where he's, it's always something. Han being that profound sense of injustice right. towards like you personally. Yeah. And him saying it's always something. And then later that gets echoed by her saying it's always something. And the symmetry, which we see at the end of the season, the symmetry between the two of them and how they're actually living very parallel experiences but yeah that's a no that's a fantastic point yeah and spoiler alert i'm just gonna say it because i really want to talk to you about this the part in episode nine when maria bello gets cut in half by the door oh that was insane i know i and it just went on and on and i was not expecting it and when it happened i like i was like physically shaken it was i i just did not know how to I didn't know how to feel about it. My my mouth was agape the rest of the episode. And I was like shook to my core in the way that like very specific scenes in horror that we've seen together shook me. And I was not expecting that from the show. Yeah, no, I would agree. The way it leaves off, I was just like, wow, that was really, it, it had some really great moments and some really interesting storytelling, unique storytelling. And then the way it ended, it, it just left it on this almost profound note. I was like, this was yeah. really cool. So I hope that they do another season. I would be curious to see this as an anthology. Yes. I feel like we could leave that story where it is and do something else and explore another beef. I, I like the idea of that. So yeah, we'll see. But I'm glad I finally finished it so we could finally chat about it. <laughs> or we could do a completely separate series that'll be about a different kind of topic and it'll be called, or it could explore cowardice mm-hmm. and it'd be called chicken. There we go. And then, and then fish. fish. Yes. <laughs> Netflix, are, are, is that you on the phone? Destiny's calling. 
<laughs> Speaking of Destiny Calling, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss 1980 Windows. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past a Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. All right, welcome back. So this week we are opening up the windows, Joe. Did we This was a this was an interesting little movie watch experience. Yeah. So 1980, this defined as a thriller, which I would agree with <laughs> in the sense that it was that's what it was trying to do. Directed by Gordon Willis, who what was it we said he did the Yeah, he was the cinematographer for the Godfather uh, series and some of the movies of Woody Allen, starring Talia Shire of Rocky fame and just being a Coppola. A uh, Joseph Sir Cortese mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Ashley. Uh, the film, it's about a woman who's being uh, terrorized in her apartment by somebody who we find out like 20 minutes into the film who it is. And then we have to sit through another 80 minutes of just watching the rest of it play out. Uh, but there's some things we can chat about in this this queer horror film. Arms. Yeah, but Joe, we'll start with you. What, what did you think of Windows? Watch this, <laughs> I'm not kidding about how dare you make me watch this. It really was, it really wanted to be something, huh? It really was oh, trying. Oh, she really tried that, didn't she? She really tried that. <laughs> she was trying to be something. And... You know what? Sometimes, and I'm glad that Talia Shire got a check, but wow, was this movie bad? Yeah. From that, from a like aesthetic perspective, we're not a review podcast. Yeah. We are reading it right now, though. Yeah. I am reading it. I guess for queer horror and for Pride Month, we can, we can put on our reading glasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just goes to show that not everything queer is good. Like, absolutely things are allowed to fail yeah that we totally demand fine. we demand as many of our friends have said it's not enough that queer horror media representation is just queer it also needs to be good yeah it's a really interesting that's like the word of the day i keep saying it interesting you're gonna have to edit all those out uh, <laughs> i'll give you a count of it how about that yeah there we go i think I thought it would be fun to watch this because one, it came out the same year as Cruising. So in 1980. So you have, and we talked about Cruising last year. So mm-hmm. go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, which had a lot of protest around it mm-hmm. while it was being made, when it came out, all of that. And But throughout time, it's come, become a bit of a cult classic. It's been reevaluated and appreciated in a different light. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was a major influence on the last season of American Horror Story in NYC. They ripped stuff like out of cruising, basically. The whole leather. Yeah, there, and there's a scene in the police station, all kinds of stuff. So I thought I'd heard about this movie and knew of some of the criticism, which was very similar. Same thing. It, got, it had a lot of backlash, and then it got forgotten because, one, 
they didn't have Al Pacino or somebody like Talia hasn't gone on to have some massive, huge career that has kept this like yeah. film alive in people's minds, I guess. Like cruising, you, when people find out Al Pacino made a weird gay serial killer movie, you're yeah. going to go back and watch it. No one's Talia Shire. Right. <laughs> the Rocky girl. She yeah. made the Adrian, Adrian, like <laughs> was being targeted by a lens. Yeah. So it's got a little <laughs> forgotten, I feel. I'm also not entirely convinced that Al Pacino wasn't the police officer. It was like, it was very like... He is a police officer. Well, no, like, I'm not convinced that, like, the police officer in Windows wasn't also Al Pacino. (laughs) maybe, yeah. I feel like they were going for, we want an Al Pacino type, but we can't. But he's already making a gay movie, so we gotta get someone else. Yeah. (laughs) He's already movies, Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of reasons this gets lost. And I do think it's unfortunate, because I do, this could be a good movie. This could be, like, even a great kind of film Mm -hmm. if it, if they just (laughs) I mean, it doesn't even have to be like monumentally better. I just think they could have like, they didn't need to reveal. So dear listener in the film, because I I can't say that I recommend that you go and watch this because it's just, it's not well constructed as a horror film, as a thriller film, as a cop film. As a film. Yeah. No adjective (laughs) as a film. (laughs) But it's, yeah. So Talia Shire's character, Emily, she lives alone in in this apartment in New York. And mm-hmm. one day, this man breaks into her apartment, attacks her, doesn't seem to actually... I don't know, it's hinted at. We don't really know what happens, because they, you know, they leave it out. But it, in some way, she's a who records the assault on a little handheld tape player, which I had to laugh because I had one of those in my first year of college you know, to like tape lectures to like go back and listen to for notes, which I never did. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody was like, oh, you have to get a tape recorder and ask permission from the professor to record. And then everybody wanted, oh, can I listen to it? But no, we never did. Anyways, no. not the point. I had one, but that's because I was in fifth grade and I was a precocious little shit. And I yeah. was like, note to self. Yeah. Did blah, you blah, blah. listen to them and actually take like, get notes from them? Did they no, help you? Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it was like I had a tape recorder because I couldn't get like the one from Home Alone right. 2. Yeah. The, what was that called? Boy, yes. Yeah, the talk boy. Uh, anyways, so the killer, or not killer, he's not a killer, the assaulter. Records assailant. The assailant <laughs> records her making these noises, tells her to make certain noises, tells her to say certain things. And she goes to the police, of course, blah, blah. So it's, who's the man? Are they going to catch him? And you know, she has this friend who comes over and like comforts her. And we don't know who, the, and we have no context for the friend. We just know that she's just a person that she knows and has been exactly. is trying from the jump to get her to not spend the time alone. Right. But there's no context for who she is. Yeah. And then about 20 minutes into the film, you find out that it's that friend is the person who sent the man in to attack her friend to scare her into becoming a lesbian. Roll credits. <laughs> that's, We're done. That is, that's what this movie is about. So you get, there's no mystery after 20 minutes. 25 minutes, I think, is the actual-ish mark. And then, yeah, there's a whole other hour of film while this psychotic, predatory lesbian <laughs> goes to therapy, watches Emily through a telescope that she's surreptitiously set up a few blocks away from the house, from from Emily's new apartment, because she moves, of course. And yeah, and then eventually gets her to come over to the house where she propositions her. 
And then the movie just ends <laughs> with her getting arrested because the cop, yeah. the straight, normal man comes in and saves the day. Here's the thing. <laughs> All of this could have been avoided if Emily had any goddamn sense to put up blinds. Right. Or That's, drapes. Yeah, th- this movie is called Windows because it can't be called Curtains because there aren't <laughs> any. Where are the goddamn window blankets? <laughs> also, not for nothing, but we're only <laughs> semantically... It implies that we're going to see multiple windows, more than one. She's, well, just she's looking no, into that's the not, other window. That's a cop out, I think. <laughs> I'm like, where's the other? Where the other window? Where's the yeah. other window? It's also it's we're watching the movie. It's a window into their world. Wow! Don't no. <laughs> they are not deserving of our overread on that, sir. <laughs> Yeah. I was promised windows plural. <laughs> I got windows singer. Yeah, this is true. One of the quotes I read was one, a lot of the people involved with the movie felt it was a mistake, including Gordon Willis, that he, yeah, it was difficult to make. But I, what was the, David Denby said, Windows exists only in the perverted fantasies of men who hate lesbians so much they will concoct any idi- idiocy in order to slander them. David Denby, he was, he is, he's still alive. Sorry, I don't mean to say was. He's a film critic and journalist famously for, I think he was the New Yorker film critic until 2014, or a film critic for the New Yorker. I wonder if he's, no, he's been married to women. Not to say that he's not queer, but I I just thought that was interesting coming from ostensibly a straight man watching the film and viewing it as a homophobic film particularly about hating lesbians yeah homophobia that's a type of homophobia that i don't know i don't see much or know much about in terms of like straight men hating gay women there is a lot of fantasy we've talked about this before i think on the show and i've definitely talked about it in other places that there is because there's like a fetishizing of lesbianism by the larger mainstream like heterosexual male culture there can be a sort of one-dimensional attitude towards them or this idea like, oh, something's missing from like your coupling. And so it's easier for men to get into that. I'm not exactly sure of all like the ins and outs of what the fetishism is outside of just, yeah, I'm guessing it's like the threesome kind of thing of or whatnot. But yeah, I did. It's really interesting because watching this movie, I, for one, I think it could be fixed if we didn't find out until much later that, it was the friend the whole time. It yeah. would just add a lot more tension to the film. You could still have those scenes of looking through the telescope and you it's it has all like that predatory like point of view stuff that we get in other like slasher movies. Only this time it's just about obsession. It's just it's what's this kind of twisted love yeah. that Andrea Andrea because don't they actually say it like Andrea or Andrea in it? Because we kept making fun of it because of, yeah. or not making fun of it, but Devil Wars Prada, Andrea and Emily. <laughs> it's Andrea and Emily. Yeah, which is what, that's exactly what happened. She watched this movie and was like, you know what? I'm going to tell this story in a whole new way. Yes. <laughs> and there, it's two women both being terrorized by another woman. By another woman, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they're well aware and into it. It's a very bdsm twisted kind of story that's happening in the devil wars prada but we'll talk about that some other time but yeah i think if they would have had that it would have just added a lot more tension because watching it now because this was the thing that i i was thinking is it's not necessarily that a queer person being the villain 
and being this kind of villain is a bad thing. I don't necessarily feel that is intrinsically homophobic. Uh But when we contextualize it at the time, in 1980, so this is being probably crafted in the 70s, along with cruising, we don't have a lot of great representation of queer people anyways. They're either like Waylon and Madam we've joked about. There's that kind of thing or played for laughs or some other kind of like psycho or whatever where it's these these sorts of uh, violent killer homosexuals with it coming out then i can see why people were upset by it there's also other weird hurt nails if you're like some queen lesbian why are you gonna have those long ass (laughs) nails it makes no sense listen straights they're a lesbian nails are as long as that has to be a particular fetish. Maybe some people like that. So maybe that's Andrea's thing is like her long nails that she's going to use. Yeah, but that cannot be. But it doesn't look comfortable. Well, I'm also not comfortable. <laughs> well, there's other pro- things running alongside. So you, one, you do, it's like she's so problematic anyways, because it's like hard to believe that, you know, she's a lesbian at all. And then she's trying to scare her friend like by like with sexual assault. Yeah, you know, she's like trying to weaponize that to get her like scared into lesbianism, which we've talked about is like a a major fantasy of these insane homophobic people. That's what happened. Oh, you were raped or you were molested or something. So to, to think of a queer person and a woman like using rape to justify sexuality and sexual behavior is like just so. That is probably the most offensive thing about the movie, besides yeah. the the messing with, besides the fact that they reveal the killer so early, because it, it would have just m- been much more interesting to have it be later. Uh, and also to have her do it herself, because we got, like, this same year-ish, didn't um, Friday the 13th come out in 1980? So we got in that movie kind of the same thing. You got all these, like, point of views, you got all the standard... Think, yeah, it came out in 1980 as well. You got all like the standard sort of slasher movie tropes, mm-hmm. and the end it turns out to be a woman, an yeah. older woman, you know, mm-hmm. a mother. And it just, I, I know like Siskel and Ebert or whatever hated it, hated the twist of it all, but I don't know. It still holds up. I just watched it the other night, and it's still so fun for that to be like the twist, yeah, because you're so set up. So I think in this movie, if it had been that kind of the same thing of setting it up that whole time where you just do not expect it to be like her best friend, yeah, it would have just been a much better movie. And you could have done so. It didn't need like that sexual assault kind of thing, or if she was doing it herself. At least then there'd be another conversation that we could be having about like obsession and about that kind of assault in a horror film like this i don't know it could have been explored in a different way so then is it reasonable to say that um uh is it reasonable to say that attention high tension is like the no because it yeah creates its own it has its own set of problems and again because she also isn't aware Maria isn't aware that she's the killer as well. Yeah. So that's, it takes away a little bit. This woman obviously knows what she's doing and is manipulating yeah. people around her. Because this is more in line with basic, or no, Fatal Attraction uh, uh-huh. and like single white female mm-hmm. and those sorts of movies. Swim I think. fan. Yeah, it owes something to this kind of, yeah. to this film. I think in a way those were trying to play with the same sort of theme of what do you do when you're 
ostensibly it's her best friend in the movie that we see. Yeah. Because I mean, they're on the phone. I know. We're not given much. We don't even know why she loves her why Andrea is even doing some of the stuff she's doing. Yeah. Because even the scenes with the therapist don't really hint at any... The movie is its very one note. Yeah. And very surface, I think. Yeah. Every time something happens or Emily reaches out to her, immediately Andrea's whole thing is, do you want to come over? You shouldn't be alone. You shouldn't be alone. And I was like, oh man. I've, and it, it was like jarring to watch that because I think I've definitely like in my early 20s of being a budding queer wanting to spend time with someone who I had feelings for definitely was needy like that hey can I come over you want to come over you want to go do something mama mama I'm like oh no so me watching that was not was definitely made me uncomfortable I there's just so much that we don't get there's so much that we don't information we don't get we don't get the nature of their relationship or why they're even friends we don't get that like why does emily have a stutter afterwards like Mm. like we can intuit right and it is like fairly hinted at that like it is because of the assault but it's also like inconsistent and yeah she has a stutter at the beginning that's just part of the character but i'm not sure why yeah i I also didn't come back that's the thing. She's resorting to her old because it is traumatic. But I think the idea is that it came back, her mm. stutter that she had. But why she had it in the first place, I can't remember. Yeah. They don't, again, It's this isn't going too deep. Um, I was just looking to see because I thought there was a mention in one of the articles I read. There's not much written about this film. It's It's got like one line in our um, Monsters in the Closet book, which is just to listed as a bad example of queer cinema yeah i don't i'm not sure about the stutter but what i was gonna say i think i as i do i interrupted myself it's just adhd talking was that i think if the movie kind of had was arranged a little differently and came out like now when we have so many other contexts for queer characters sure I don't know if it would be as like offensive as it was then. Cause I didn't necessarily sit there as like a queer person and feel too offended by this. It just wasn't, it's like you have to make a good enough movie to like really offend me. And for like millions of people to see this and think that this is what like a lesbian is like. And I just don't think yeah. that's what happened here. But yeah, I think if, if it, yeah, you're right. I'm just saying if it was a totally different movie, but there were just things that worked for me that I did. I liked a lot of the POV shots and like the telescope. And I like the idea of like her best friend. Like, it's just, I think that's an interesting thing to play with, mm-hmm. but it needs to be something written. Like what you're talking about, like from your own personal experience written. If you were a horror writer writing with that lived experience of being a queer person, like pining after someone else, maybe you could push the horror in a way that's a little bit smarter, or a little bit, deeper and more thought out but this just feels again this does feel very much like the predatory lesbian kind of trope that we saw in a lot of the vampire movies hey and if she was a vampire maybe we even it would be a totally different conversation yeah (laughs) a pitch for you yes this is as i love to do on this show just completely rip apart the movie and reboot it let's do a reboot of windows okay but the best friend is not the killer it's actually the cop and the cop pined after her for so long. And and it's a lesbian wearing a mustache? No, it's a trans man. Oh. Oh, but the, so she didn't know that it was somebody that she went to school with or yes. something. 
that could be interesting. I mean, but then you're also that brings up like predatory, like transness, and and if you cast like a trans actor, right? Yeah, it's something that could be seen a mile away. But again, they could be in cahoots together. I don't know. No, that could be that would be something interesting. I think again, I am not against. I think that'd be a hard sell now because we have so much victimization and villainization of trans people again. It's it's the 90s again. We're back. The 90s are back, y'all. But yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that the film, this could be rebooted. And again, I think it already has been with like single white female and other movies that we've seen that were very similar. These crush type movies where it's I'm destroying your life. I was curious for you because this is another movie that is set in New York. And did you feel like the New Yorkness of it all? Oh God, I hate when that happens. I <laughs> it felt very like they use the same scenes, the same establishing shots, locations as cruising. We want you to know that this is 1980s New York. She has a view of the Brooklyn B- Bridge and the Twin Towers. Like, yeah, what? If you're gonna call <laughs> yeah. it windows, you need to give it w- more than one. Right? Yes. No matter where she. Yeah, no matter where, like, it's always... But, like, I was expecting, like, she goes to the house in the country or something, and she has, like, a bunch of windows around there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're really obsessed with the windows. I, you can't call this... Sh- you cannot call this shit windows plural and have one window that we're looking through. The the apartment that we're <laughs> referencing... This has one giant window with no one curtains. One giant window, no right. curtains. What yeah. in the, I'm sorry, this is a more, this is probably a personal thing because my parents are very much people who like, if we're walking through a neighborhood, they will comment on every single time they see like a, a giant window that has, yeah. that's open and there's people walking through and they will be like, why are these people, why do these people want people to look in? That's the, uh, they, they always like, why do they want to people to look in there? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they want to look out. That's they don't perceive yeah. that it's them that want to look out. But I'm sorry, I can't get over if it's going to be windows like the fact that it was open, one, and the fact that we only see one window, two. You don't even really yeah. see the window that Andrea is looking out of. It's like open and yeah, it's mostly a mirror because there's so many night shots that it's just reflecting them standing yes. around her apartment. Yes. I don't know. Where are the other windows? Yeah. I should ask next time I see, go to a Melissa Etheridge concert, I should ask her if she's seen this movie. (laughs) Was this the inspiration after all these years? Was it this movie? This is what it was? Joe, you need to take this movie and edit it. (laughs) I went down. People. I was thinking more, I was thinking more, even though the movie is called Windows, I was thinking that the movie embodies more I want to come over. Or, That's definite. Yeah. Or more like, do you want to come? <laughs> you should not so much I want to come over as you shouldn't be alone tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. There we go. I love that. What was the other thing? Oh, the cat. See? Yeah. I was really upset about the cat. There's a cat in this movie. and Spoiler alert. It does meet a terrible end. That's not really depicted, but you see the results. And that mm-hmm. was very upsetting to me. I, f- I find that very offensive. You already have a movie where you are attacking lesbians. And then you have one, a lesbian woman, harm a cat. Harm their familiars. It's just, I can't. I can't with it. It's so cruel and definitely homophobic. And also, did she kill the cat before she put it in the freezer? 
I don't. Maybe we should. I think she put much. it in there, and it just was in there because the way it was like frozen. I don't know. It's. I see. Now we're thinking about it, and now we're making the listener think about it, and it was just awful, and I can't support it. Yeah, there's a lot. And wrong I was upset with this about movie. that. Yeah, but I also just thought again as like a cultural artifact of the time, paired with cruising. I think it's a very interesting. Is that word again? I think as a cultural artifact, when paired with cruising and the conversation happening in cruising, it just makes for good complementary conversation to compare them. Cruising I, is better, I think. See, I hear you and I can agree. Yeah. But they just came out at the same time and kind of in the same yeah. into the same cultural landscape yeah. so it's just i wonder what it was like i wonder what it was like to be like a 20 something year old queer person and go see cruising go see windows it's and like then, this is the con this is what they think of us this is what they're this is what they're talking about and then a few years later you go see silence of the lambs it's just you know it's like wow it's just yeah what a what a fascinating time wow on like the g <laughs> and the t Right. Is there one is there a B in there that from that time period? I'm sure we could find one, but <laughs> we still don't have great representation for the bees or the t anybody. It's mixed. It's a mixed bag, a mixed blessing. <laughs> it's a mixed blessing. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? A mixed blessing? I have no idea. But I wish somebody would re-edit this movie. So, but of course, then it would only be like an hour long. Because you'd have to take stuff out to make it make sense, but I just wish that oh they. Oh my god! I wish I was a better editor in video because I would do like Windows, but come to my window. <laughs> I would dial your number just to and like yeah, she's dialing. She's dialing. I know it's it would fit again. I'm telling you, it's like synchronicity. Yeah, you could bet she saw this and was just like, oh, I'm gonna write a song about this. I double dog dare you to ask <laughs> Melissa Etheridge. Have you seen Windows? Was this what you had in mind? Yeah. Does this did this inform your your lesbianhood in the nineteen eighties? <laughs> did you feel seen? All right, deserve better. They do. They deserve way better. They took care of all so many gay people in the eighties and nursed us and yeah. And we let trash like this movie come out. <laughs> How dare us! Shame on us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It comes back. We're we're trying to shame the heterosexuals for making it, but we're like maybe it's our fault. Is that that's like our trauma though? Maybe it's our. Did fault. we ask for this? <laughs> is the fact that we are we being problematic because we're doing an entire episode on this movie that's awful? I know it's a, a two steps forward, one step back yes. world. Uh, but even watching it, I was just like, it was just laughable. It's, I can't even muster enough to take too much offense at it, just because mm -hmm. it's just so poorly executed it yeah. doesn't make i couldn't see anybody being like ah oh, yes yeah, see this is what they're up to it just doesn't even register it's not even it can't even be insidious because mm -hmm. it's so poorly put together yeah. right does yeah. it does it's again i i do think it speaks to a certain kind of cultural anxiety at that time especially as like the queer rights movement and you know what the aids iv was happening but it wasn't at like the crisis levels yeah. that it would grow to so I, I do think there's something about the heterosexual cultural fear of queer people that is wrapped up in this movie. She's a good, nice girl, just trying to go to work. She's This man's let her down and hurt her. And now she's starting to get into a relationship with this nice guy cop, because we all love cops. What a great thing. And this evil lesbian is just trying to break them apart like they are your daughter. 
and your daughter and your sister. It just, it feels very, I, the anxiety of it. I really cannot, I can't, I also can't wrap my head around that as a concept, as a common enough concept. I don't think that people like think about it because again, it's, and we see this, I like, I hear people say things of, oh yes, I do. I appreciate it's happened recently with family members where it's, we love you and you're so great, but oh, we don't, but like our kids okay, you just ensured that your kids are all going to be big old flamers. So So it's there. It still bubbles under the surface that people still believe very firmly that normal is a real concept Mm. and that it's heterosexuality. Yeah. And that that their their kids won't be or there's some sort of... That's what this whole conversation we're having right now is. If you let them read books with gay people in it, that's how they're going to get them. They're out there to get us. The predatory queer... Is has been such a long-standing fiction yeah. of heterosexism. The idea that we're recruiting. Yeah, that we recruit. But it's, no. You know who recruits. Exactly. And that's what keep, we mm-hmm. keep, the more evidence we throw at them is, no, this is a you problem. Yeah. It's not an us problem. Don't re- project that <laughs> yes. onto us. Exactly. But this boogeyman, predatory queer, whether it's a man or a woman, is just a very ingrained concept and it's not going away and and we we get lulls in it but it's roared back to life recently same with what we're seeing with anti-semitism misogyny feminism everything that when like the establishment is threatened it leans hard into its boogeyman that it's had around for centuries and so we're just seeing i do think that this this film for all its flaws is still speaking to a very real fear of of mainstream heteronormative culture uh that we that we are something to be afraid of and that we are actively trying to to take sure. and change people sure so yeah man we should have started with that and then it would have made this episode would have been way better than getting to it at, just in the sense of talking about true the strengths of the movie that are there as a cultural artifact yeah. i do think is valid but it's yeah. not yeah, I could I can't really endorse We ended it. strong and that's all that matters. There we go. Again, we hope that your pride months are are going when you're enjoying your summer, stay out of the sun or wear lots of sunscreen, please. Mm-hmm. Think of me when you when you put it on, just remember. I'm <laughs> I should be wearing sunglasses right now because I can see Joshua's legs. This is true and you are blinded by the white. Yes. <laughs> all right, dear listener, thank you. There you go. More predatory lesbians to tuck away into your nightmares. <laughs> All right, Joe. Good night. Come to my window, Joshua. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 